when you're given your diagnosis, they just sit you down and say, well, we're sorry to tell you, but you have vascular dementia. And, um, and you say to them, well, what does that mean? I already knew what that meant, but you still asked the question, <laughs> sort of expecting a different answer for yourself. I don't know why, but you just sort of do. <laughs> and they say, well, you know, the lifespan is three to eight years. And so the best thing now is that you have to get your affairs in order. And, um, you know, you need to bring all those back so we know they're in order. And then you have to, you know, we have to put a planned place for going forward. And, you know, you have to think about, you know, when the time comes for, for assisted living or for care homes. And, and you're thinking, wait a minute wait a minute, <laughs> you know, and, and again, you go through just like you do when you, when someone dies, you go through that whole numb period where you're walking around in a complete daze yeah. and you're thinking, how can this be? And there's no support given, mm. you know, if any other illness you get assigned social workers you get assigned all different types of therapists you get um, um, counseling you get all kinds of things offered with dementia you're told to go home and get your affairs in order hmm. so there I went the following week to my lawyer to make sure all my I's were dotted and my T's were crossed and my healthcare directives were done and my DNRs were signed and everything's in place. March it back to the doctors. And then you just go home. Nobody helps you. Nobody tells you what you're supposed to do now. Hmm. So you're just supposed to sit at home and wait to die. And, and at some point, that piece of me, that little fighter that's always been there surfaced. And I just thought, that's not good enough for me. I'm Dr. Regina Kett. I'm a board certified clinical psychologist and I specialize with older adults and families. I created the Psychology of Aging podcast to answer some of the most common questions I get about aging. Questions about mental health and wellness, changes in the brain, like with dementia, relationships and sex, caregiving, and even end of life. Like I say in my therapy groups, no topic is off topic. We just have to have a healthy way of talking about it. So if you're an older adult or caring for one, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Today we have a very special guest, Christine Felker, though we'll call her Chrissy because that's what she likes to be called, is a 61-year-old woman who has been living with dementia since the age of 55. In today's interview, Chrissy will share with us her experience of having a stroke while she was working in elder care. She describes feeling herself sliding down the wall when she had a stroke and her subsequent diagnosis with dementia and what life has been like for her since being diagnosed with dementia. 
Chrissy is giving us a gift by sharing her journey living with dementia, by talking about how she found purpose after her diagnosis of dementia and what she's doing now to share her purpose with others. Chrissy is author of the book, For This I Am Grateful, Living with Dementia. And today she shares her journey with us. Chrissy Felker, thank you so much for coming on to the Psychology of Aging podcast to share about who you are and what you do and this very important message that you have for all of us about living with dementia. And I'm just delighted that you're here. Thank you for being here. Oh, Regina, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this important podcast for, for people, um, you know, uh, sharing our stories and, and helping each other go so far in helping us all stay well. So thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Can you share with us your story, like who you are and where you come from? I always say, well, I'm just a little Canadian country girl. <laughs> um, I live in British Columbia, Canada. I am 61 now. I'm going to be 62 shortly. Um, I was, uh, I worked in healthcare. Uh, I, actually, I worked in dementia care, <laughs> of all things. That's uh, ironic. Um, that was my career here in Canada. Um, so I had a passion for all things dementia. Um, and at 55, I had a stroke while I was working. Um, I had been having some issues prior to, um, but they were never quite sure what it was, you know. Um, I went through testing for all kinds of things, MS, epilepsy, all kinds of variety of things. Uh, it wasn't until after that that they were able to determine that I actually had vascular dementia. Um, and that changed everything. It changed yeah. everything, you know. So I've just... I've always just been, you know, uh, just like everyone else, just, you know, a regular down-to-earth person who worked and, you know, lived life like most do until yeah. then. Until you had the, the stroke mm -hmm. and then was diagnosed with, and were diagnosed with vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Though you another part of your story, which you talk about in your book, um, is that you also became a widow very young yes, or younger was, than most. Yes. I was widowed at 47. My husband was 53 and it was unexpected. And, um, uh, very quickly, you know, we had, he, he, um, died of cancer. We had a two week window from diagnosis till death. Um, so that was life changing and, yeah. and life altering yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, 
that's a that's a journey in and of itself for most people. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you've been married for five minutes or 50 years. Um, that loss is is something that um, needs to be honored. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we all, especially, I don't know, I shouldn't say especially, because it doesn't matter how old you are, but you, we tend to try to tell people and pull people out of that sort of grief stage uh, to get on with things. You know, they need to get back to work. They need to get doing this. They need to get, no, they need to be able to sit with it and feel it and move through it at whatever pace is good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we rush those th- things, um, which is not good for our overall health. Yeah. Um, so that's something um, sort of along with the dementia that I am really um, keen on advocating about. And it's really um, uh, important to me that um, for people with dementia, that people remember that they still have the right to, to move through grief. People are um, often not even told when a spouse dies or one of their children, God forbid, dies because they're in a senior's home and, well, they have dementia, so we just won't tell them Mm -hmm. because they know there is a sense and a knowing within us. We, We know when something is not right, when something is missing, and to not have those things acknowledged is really damaging mm-hmm. whether you have dementia or not mm-hmm. so yeah so that that changed life for me yes you were working in dementia care yeah in elder care and dementia care and then and were you working in in that system when you lost your husband uh yes I was um so, yeah, I took the two weeks off uh, and a bit of time afterwards. Um, I stayed at the hospital with him. I never left the hospital wow. for those two weeks. Um, um, that became my room, our room. <laughs> um, and... I think when I look back, that really, I grew from that and I gained an inner strength from going through that. Yeah. And I had a, a end of life care had always been really, really important to me, but it just took it to a whole other level. And when I did go back to work, I took that with me. Mm-hmm. So I really worked hard to make some positive changes for how people's end of life in those care homes was happening. From your own personal knowing, from your yeah. own personal experience, yeah. Yeah. and then the resilience of going through it and moving yeah. through it. And moving through it, yeah. 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 
and you're a fast forward. So 47 years old, your husband passes away. You move through it. Maybe, maybe at times still are, cause it might not yeah. ever leave you. And, and you're working in, in senior care and with folks with dementia and you have a stroke, you have some, some medical problems. You try to figure out what's going on. Nothing, nothing lands, no diagnosis lands. You have a stroke at work, which must've been so scary. And you write about this in your book, but will you talk about that? What was that like? Well, you know, you, you sort of, you convince yourself that, well, no, it's not really anything, right? But then suddenly you realize I'm in trouble here, you know? And I remember sliding down the wall thinking I need help, right? And then, you know, the whole the whole piece of, you know, people looking at you and I couldn't really respond and I couldn't make sense of what was happening and and then being in the in the hospital uh, and you know the doctors and the tests and everything happening and and you lose uh, all your sense of time mm-hmm. um, and then when they tell you that you've had a stroke and that you know then they start the referrals to the specialists and the stroke clinics and all of those things that are going to happen and then they start trying to unravel the whys, um, you really start to realize that you have to, you sort of, it's almost like you're numb for a while, just like when you lose someone, you go into this, uh, this where you're operating at some level, but you're sort of not. Yeah. And, and it's a very hard to explain to people, but you're going through the motions of doing what you have to do um, over, over through that period. I ended up, my house had to be sold. My job disappeared because, Oh, you can't go back to work. And all these things started happening. And it was like, I was sitting on the outside watching my, whole life unfold and I could do nothing about it so you know we all have this need to control our environment <laughs> and all of a sudden you it's all gone it's a, you don't have and and you learn through that though that it's okay not to have control it's okay to just let things happen as they're meant to and as they need to um, but it's terrifying in, the, in those moments. It's absolutely terrifying. And then you have to put all of that trust into people around you in hope that they're helping you make decisions that are the best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often people don't have those conversations with people. So... And that really is is unfair not only to yourself but to the people around you. Um, you know, those kinds of conversations are so important because then people are left trying to make those kinds of decisions. You know, like people were trying to help me 
to know that, you know, I really did need to sell my house. I wouldn't be able to do all the upkeep and the work and all of these things anymore. And I, I need to be able to trust that they were looking beyond what, you know, just right today, what was going to be in my best interest. And if we don't have those conversations with people, it makes it really hard for them to do that. And we don't want people doing that. And then they walk away having to feel guilty or they, uh, and sometimes that's self-inflicted on their part, um, but it's still there. So having those kinds of conversations around those things are really important. Who were your people then? Uh, A group of friends, (laughs) a group of friends. Um, So, you know, I, of course I didn't have my husband to help make, those decisions. So uh, one of my really dear, dear friends came from uh, another community. Uh, We've been friends for years and she came. uh, I had a niece who came and, and helped um, once we had sorted through my stuff. um, She came and had a sale of things and, I had another really good friend who was in real estate and he came and he took care of all the stuff to sell my house. And, uh, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I just know that they really pulled together to, to do the best they could for me. And you trusted them. And I trusted them. And it was, it was another huge loss for me. Yeah. You know, I had to go through a whole other type of mourning now because I'm, I was just sort of getting on my feet, I would say, after my husband died, sort of feeling grounded again, if you will. Um, and then all of this happened and everything got pulled out from under me again. So, and now I've lost a career. I, uh, I'm selling my house. I have no idea. Um, you know, doctors are talking about, am I going to have to look at care? You know, all these different things. Um, so, so you have to go through a whole other level of and type of, of mourning, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, compounded loss. Compounded loss. I I always call it um, uh, that accumulative loss. And I actually built a program at one time in my working career called Unattended Sorrow um, for workers who worked specifically in long-term care. And they they dealt with and held hands, you know, of so many deaths every year. And at one time, you know, we always had three or four days before somebody else came into that room, sometimes a week. And, and so you had time to sort of process that this person who you had now had a relationship with is gone. And because you do build relationships with those people, with their families. Mm-hmm. And then it became where, you know, it's a 24 hour turnover um, to when someone passes away and someone else is in that room. And so what happens to those workers with all that, what I call unattended sorrow? There's no time 
to process. It has to build. So is that then what turns out manifesting into strokes, heart disease, all of these different illnesses as, as those workers age and as that accumulative effect takes hold? Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, but for me, that was, that was the whole new set, set back. Uh, and I really had to once again, um, restart my life. Yeah. Find your footing. Find my footing. You know, I always say, um, when my husband passed away, um, I wasn't the same person after as I was before. When I had my stroke and got my dementia diagnosis, I wasn't the same as I was before. You can't endure those kinds of hits mm -hmm. without them having an impact. doesn't mean it has to be negative, but they're there. Yeah. And they definitely change our outlook. They change um, our perceptions. Um, they change our relationships with people around us. Um, so that's a really big component in all of it. Yes. How would you say your life is different or you are different now with a dementia diagnosis and living <laughs> with dementia? Uh, in some ways, I'm uh, freer, if you will. I Because I don't worry now about tomorrow. I don't worry about, you know, we spend so much of our life worrying about our career and worrying about next week and next year and five years from now, we're all busy building these plans and we're forgetting to live today. I have learned to live today in this moment. I can be fully here with you enjoying this conversation because my mind isn't thinking about what's happening after this. Uh -huh. Tell me about right now. So uh, that's been a really um, nice, nice bit to get out of this. I also am um, more withdrawn in some ways, just by the nature of my dementia. In other ways, more out, more outgoing and more vocal. Um, so. I, I advocated through work and stuff, but I never really pushed that envelope. I never really sort of was brave enough to really put myself out there fully. Um, I no longer worry about that. Um, so those things have changed for me. I'm, I'm much more willing to stand up and speak my truth instead of worrying about what people might think or what people might, how people might respond. You know, like I, I say what I feel needs to be said. Uh, and I always feel like if I'm speaking my truth then. Uh, and in some ways I'm, I may be happier and more content um, because I don't have the constraints that society puts on us, mm. if, if you want to look at it that way. Those constraints are gone. 
How has it changed your relationships? There's been a loss of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think some of the losses are because they have trouble accepting you as you are now. Uh, you know, they, they're sort of suffering their own loss because you, you aren't who you were before. Um, and they, they have trouble with that transition. So those relationships fade, you know, um, and I don't like to place blame. I hear sometimes, well, people just walk away from people with dementia. Maybe it's, maybe they're, maybe they're sort of running from their own inner um, strife, trying to, to deal with that, with their own loss of who you are and, and maybe it's fear and maybe it's all kinds of things. And so I, I, I don't like to, I don't like to say, well, you know, people shouldn't No, people shouldn't do that. They should, they should face those things and they should just talk about those things. But we all know that not everybody has that ability. Yeah. So we sort of, I have just come to really live by that, you know, a reason, a season, a, a, a lifetime um, and as much as I have had the losses of, of friendships and associations, um, I have also gained fabulous friendships and fabulous connections. And I share a lot of laughter now, even more so than, than previously. You know, that is one thing I love about my dementia family, I call them. (laughs) We laugh a lot. Tell us about your dementia family. Um, Dementia Alliance International is um, the organization that I actually credit with. I always say they saved my life. Um, They were the ones that showed me that um, life wasn't over with your dementia diagnosis, that you can still live and have a life where you have purpose, where you have worth, where you can have friendship and you can have relationships with people that are healthy and and where you can encourage people to thrive. Um, so that for me, um, you know, they... I have met so many amazing people and I have been um, uh, had the privilege of, of working alongside of those people to really try to help make positive changes. And that's a very powerful thing. So when you go from getting that diagnosis and feeling like life is over and then somebody says, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be come take our hand and join us. And, you know, the first time you go, go on screen with them on a zoom and they talk to you and you cry and you laugh. And if you're looking at these people and they're just like you, you know, and it's so liberating because for so long people, uh, you know, stay and, and, and portray, well, you shouldn't tell people and you shouldn't, Oh, yes, we should. 
yes, we should, and let's, and, and you know, it's like we all want to have our little sign and march down the street together. <laughs> so they're very empowering, very empowering, and I, I, I love them dearly and, and everyone associated with them. So I've been blessed by them for sure. Your dementia family. My dementia family. Yeah. And they are, they, they have become my family. Yeah. You know? And these are other people living with a dementia diagnosis and the people who you're talking about on the zoom calls, do you have to have a diagnosis of dementia to attend those kinds of calls? Yeah. So dementia Alliance international is actually in 49 countries, which is amazing in itself. It's fully uh, run by people living with dementia. Another amazing feat for all that people think we aren't capable of. We run a virtual organization in 49 countries. We deal with multiple time zones and languages, and we are a busy organization. You know, we work with the World Health Organization and with the United Nations and with many other organizations globally and doing some really important work. So, yeah, the. And, and when you meet the people within the organization, you, you know, you've become part of a very special family. Yeah. You belong here. You belong with yeah. us. Yeah. You belong with us. Uh, no judgment. And that's the other thing because it's peer to peer. Um, there's no judgment. Mm-hmm. If today I show up at the meeting and I'm in my pajamas and my hair is a mess Everybody will just know that I'm having one of those days and never bat an eye, never judge nothing. Uh, You know, so that peer to peer is something that is so very important. Mm -hmm. And, And that's a piece that nobody else offers. Nobody else can offer because peer to peer is, is a really unique is a really unique type of support. You had this impression that uh, dementia diagnosis meant your life was over. How did you get that? Well, message? because when you're when you're given your diagnosis, they just sit you down and say, "Well, we're sorry to tell you, but you have vascular dementia." And um, and you say to them, "Well, what does that mean?" I already knew what that meant, but you still asked the question, (laughs) sort of expecting a different answer for yourself. I don't know why, but you just sort of do. (laughs) And they say, well, you know, the lifespan is three to eight years. And so the best thing now is that you have to get your affairs in order. And, um, you know, you need to bring all those back so we know they're in order. And then you have to, you know, we have to put a planned place for going forward and, you know, you have to think about, you know, when the time comes for for assisted living or for care homes. And, and you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, and, and again, you go through just like you do when you when someone dies, you go through that whole numb period where you're walking around in a complete daze. 
Yeah. And you're thinking, how can this be? And there's no support given. Hmm. You know, if any other illness, you get assigned social workers, you get assigned all different types of therapists, you get um, um, counseling, you get all kinds of things offered. With dementia, you're told to go home and get your affairs in order. Hmm. So there I went the following week to my lawyer to make sure all my I's were dotted and my T's were crossed and my healthcare directives were done and my DNRs were signed and everything's in place. March it back to the doctors. And then you just go home. Nobody helps you. Nobody tells you what you're supposed to do now. Hmm. So you're just supposed to sit at home and wait to die. Right. Right. And, and, at some point, that piece of me, that little fighter that's always been there, surfaced. And I just thought, that's not good enough for me. That's not good enough. And so I started researching myself. I thought, if I'm going to have to sit here and just die, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do it because this isn't working. Uh, I can't just, life can't be just over. You know, even when people have other terminal illnesses that they're they're given a time frame, uh, you know, the whole world around them erupts to make sure that their bucket list is is done. And what do you want to do? And let's help you do that. When you get dementia, everybody just sort of fades away. And oh my God, she has dementia. And that's it. Mm. There's nothing. Yeah. So that's that, that that's a real. There's a real difference there in the whole mentality around dementia yeah Um, and the outcasting and the outcasting and and the lack of resources yes you know the lack of resources um and you know I I I I thought when my husband was diagnosed boy they threw every resource at us possible Mm -hmm. you know um and yet when I was diagnosed nothing Get your affairs in order. Get Mm -hmm. your affairs in order. So through that research, that's then when I found my dementia family at Dementia Alliance International. How long did that take? The period from your diagnosis until you found them? At least a year. Maybe a little longer. But once I found them, it didn't take very long for me to start standing up and saying, yes, I may have a terminal illness, but I have this life until the end that I fully want to live. Yeah. And so I started embracing that. Yeah. yeah. And they supported it. Your dementia family supported you in that. And they supported me, you know, not everybody thought, well, what? You know, I had people go, why would you do that? Why would you? Well, why would I just sit at home on the couch? Yeah, that's the better question. Why wouldn't I? If you were told you only had a certain period of time to live, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And I don't know very many people that would say, well, I'll just go home and sit on the couch. Mm -hmm. You know? 
Tell us now about your purpose-filled life living with dementia. So what brings you purpose and a sense of meaning and joy now? I, my advocacy work really brings me a lot of purpose. And it, it in turn just fills me with so much hope, you know, uh, when we all need that. Those are two things we all need to have in our lives is purpose and hope. And that's one thing that advocating and trying to help others has become vital to my well-being. Um, those two things, I think, are, are the most important pieces for me. Can you give us an example of your advocacy? Um, I spoke in Chicago at the Alzheimer's Disease International Conference as one of their opening speakers. Um, and that for me really opened up a whole new world of, and I met so many people and the same old stories and, and over and over again, you get, you hear from people how they were just told to go home and get ready to die. And you think, no, we have to change this. We have to change this. So starting to use my voice in that regard and speaking at the United Nations in New York um, uh, on the human rights side of, of living with dementia. Um, and now working with um, many different researchers and organizations um, to bring voice to get the changes made in the education, have the professional academic world take on a different view of what it looks like to live with and have dementia, uh, you know, to have, have doctors that will actually say to you, I'm learning from you more than I'm able to help you and, and have them be open to learning. Um, those things are, are, or what I do, they're, they're, they're what keeps me going every day. Is And every time you see just one small change, like I had last week, I had a meeting with my doctor, and he said to me, I want to show you a letter I've just sent to your long-term disability people. He said, because I really believe that, you know, this should they should have been doing this all along but they haven't been and I'm going to really fight for it for you now. And that is that you, they need to have somebody in charge um, and have a team of uh, rehabilitation people in place for you. Why don't we have access to provide that for you? So that's what we need. We need more of that. Mm-hmm. So writing my book was another big piece, you know, that was, I, I was told by a number of people that I probably shouldn't do it, you know, that, you know, I'm leaving myself very, very open, you know, once it's out there, you can't take it back, right, and you make yourself really vulnerable, um, and that's true, you do, 
But I said, if I can just make the difference for one person, then it will be worth it, Mm. you know? And I went to another town four or five hours from here and I met with people who didn't have resources where they were. So, and it was because of my writing that I had the opportunity to meet with them and share with them. And I had a lady come to a book signing and her and her husband and said, I thought I was the only one that was young. And it opened up a whole new world for them. And they just, you know, at Christmas, I got a lovely thing from them and a thank you. They always say, you saved our lives. And it's like, oh, you're saving mine at the same time. Yeah. So all of those things are the things that, you know, keep me well. And and they're the important, they're the important pieces of my life now. Yes. Your book, can we talk about it for a minute? Sure. So it's For This I Am Grateful Living with Dementia by Christine Felker. Right. Yeah. It came out in 2020. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) During the pandemic. During the pandemic. Yes. Of all things. (laughs) And, you know, even Chrissy, the way that you write the book um, is incredibly vulnerable because just for folks who haven't read it, and I recommend that people go and read it, it's your diary essentially of living in the fog of emerging and everything in between. It's the, the journey of living with dementia from diagnosis to today, to, to living a purpose-filled life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so poignant and important. Thank you. Um, And one of the things that I always forget to tell people about and people have asked me about is the cover of my book oh tell us yes and that cover of the book I did that artwork that's my my painting um and I did that at one of the darker moments of my diagnosis you know I was sitting at home and I never painted in in my life until that period then I was just painting every day and one day I painted that picture because I was just feeling so heartbroken, just shattered. And, you know, now maybe book two will be that heart I'll put back together. Right? (laughs) Wow. So, because we have to describe this for people who are listening and not seeing this. Will you describe the image? So the image shows an eye with a teardrop, and then it shows a heart shattered. Um, And then, of course, the title of the book. Um, And and it truly truly does go to to that point um, where I was struggling, you know, Um, I was struggling and, and I didn't want to sit at home and die. And I felt like I was sitting at home and dying and nobody was helping me find my way out of the dark. Um, And those, those are, so, so that's 
that's how the book cover came to be. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the title of the book speaks to, I'm grateful for all of that, for the dark that brought me to the light, for um, my world being turned upside down and shattered and finding that new hope and that new purpose and becoming who I am today. I like who I am today. You know, I make a lot of mistakes in a day. I don't do a lot of things the way I used to do them. I don't manage things as well as I used to. But through all my uh, fumbling through my days, I find things for laughter. I find joy in every day. And I feel very peaceful about it all. Remarkable. And now on to book two, where the heart will be reconstructed. <laughs> reconstructed. Yeah, let's put the pieces of the heart back together. Let's put a twinkle in the eye instead of a tear, right? That goes, that speaks volumes for why we need to change the stigma that surrounds dementia. We don't need people going at home, home and hiding we don't need families hiding their loved ones at home because, oh, God, we can't take them to a restaurant. What if he says something? What if he does something? Oh, well, what if he does? You know, I do all kinds of things. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, just like laugh it off and carry on. You know, you know, I've, I've been in a restaurant and I've ordered, you know, like a fancy coffee of some kind and it's come and I've looked at it and I said, well, I wouldn't order that. That's not for me. And they're like, that's what you ordered. And I'm like, okay, I guess I did. Like, oh, well. Thank <laughs> you. you. <laughs> Thank you. It's not the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so we have to learn to embrace people with dementia, with any other type of illness. We have to understand. And as we age, we all have more, more challenges dealing with our everyday things. And we just need to be more forgiving and more understanding. Yeah. Kindness goes a long ways, you know? Yeah. And we have to we have to start to understand that no matter where a person is on that spectrum, they still have purpose. Yeah. You know? Now, since you do so much advocacy now, what recommendations do you have for people when they're newly diagnosed? In instead of, or maybe in addition to, what needs to be there? So in addition to getting your affairs in order, how to live a purpose-filled life from the beginning? What would you suggest? Well, the first thing I always tell people is go on to Dementia Alliance International and sign up. It's free. Um, and if you know, if you're the person with dementia and you struggle with the technology side, get someone to help get you signed up. Um, we have many people who, who attend our peer-to-peer -peer support groups. Their care person starts the computer for them, sets them up, and then walks out of the room. And it's great. Um, so that's really key because you will get that support and understanding. Um, care partners, there's a lot of support out there for care partners. 
and they need to take advantage of it. Um, and for people with dementia, keep doing everything and anything that you can. Don't feel like, well, you shouldn't because you might make a mistake. Keep, I say we reinvent ourselves every day. So, you know, how I got myself dressed and organized this morning does not look like how that worked yesterday because some other piece just, you know, was a challenge today. So don't be afraid to just do it in a way that works. It's doing the same thing. It's just doing it differently. And, and know that you can still find joy. You know, you can still find joy. I am always out in nature, going for walks, taking pictures, doing things that I never had the time before, didn't even know that that's, you know, something that I really, really would get so much out of. Um, so for all of those people, um, and get involved, get, get involved. Don't, don't listen to that, go home and die. Go home and fight. You know, we, we, every other illness, you know, you, you tell people to fight, fight. You know, you've got this illness, but you fight, fight, fight it. Why aren't we told to fight? Yeah. Let's you know? slow down so, the progress. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's do. fight it and let's mm -hmm. learn. There is so much out there now that shows nutrition, exercise, all of those things are huge components, you know, yeah. eating high, healthy fats, eating a lot of really um, powerful plant-based foods uh, and doing that in combination, you know, um, exercise yeah. programs, walking programs, all of those things are so vital, you know. Um, and the social connection is one of the most essential yes. ways for people living yes. with dementia to slow down the progress. Yes. Yes. Social connection is everything. And, and that's why I love my dementia Alliance family so much because not only do we have our, our weekly different support groups and we have a cafe La brain where we share and, uh, and learn more about how to keep our brains healthy. Um, we have, we make connections and we quite often have private Zoom calls, you know, where we sit and have coffee together, you know, and chat. And those social connections are, are they, yeah, they're, they're very vital and they're really important. And too often people become so isolated. And I know the pandemic has created a lot of isolation I've been in my bubble of one for pretty close to a year now. Um, but my, my family, my dementia family, doing the video messenger calls and the Zoom calls, and we're holding each other up. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, it's Sunday morning. Let's just grab a coffee in our jammies and, and have a visit. And that's what we do, you know. Um, it's still a connection. Yeah. It's still that socialization. 
Now, what recommendations do you have for family members who are embarking or helping their loved one with a new dementia diagnosis? Uh, My biggest words to people are don't disable, enable. And that is something that caregivers, partners, and I don't, I don't like the term caregivers unless that's a hired person um, because I don't believe that if my husband was alive, I don't want him called my care partner. He's my husband first. Caring for me is part of what you do in a marriage. So, so to me, I sort of take a bit of issue with that uh, because it when you do that, when you all of a sudden today – you're Joe's wife and tomorrow you're Joe's care partner, it changes the dynamics of the relationship. Yeah. It, it makes it imbalanced. So don't allow that to happen. Remain as the partner. Remain as the spouse first. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're caring for the person, but, and the second thing is, don't disable them further. So by that, I mean, you often find that people are frustrated because it's taking you longer to do things or you don't do things the way you used to do them. So they take over doing them. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it takes me an hour to make my toast and that I put the bread in the toaster upside down. Just let me make the toast still. Because every time you stop me from doing something or stop me from figuring out a new way to do an old skill, because that's what it is. We constantly are learning how to do a skill we already have in a new way. So, Help us to do that. Help to give us the space, the time. Unless we're going to cause harm to ourselves or you or, you know, that's different. But until then, walk away, go fold the laundry or do some, go for a walk out in the yard or do something else and let me fumble my way through it. Yeah. Let me ask for help. Don't just assume I need you to take it over. Mm-hmm. That's my huge message. Yeah. Well, Chrissy Belker, <laughs> thank you so much for these words of wisdom. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, we could just chat forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, now tell us where can people learn more about you? You mentioned writing a blog and, and where can they buy your book? Um, my blog is Chrissy's Um, my book is available at, um, Barnes and Noble, most bookstores, um, uh, Indigo chapters, bookstores at Amazon, um, and through the publishers. Uh, Austin Macaulay in New York. Um, So readily available, readily available. So um, 
And I always love and welcome, you know, to hear from people once they've read the book. So, um, and love to have people um, and get to know people through my blog as well. So, yeah, thank you. Well, we'll link to all of these in the show notes. So, oh, great. It will make it easy for people to reach you. Yeah, that would be great. You know, I, I love the feedback. And, and like I say, I've been very privileged to meet a lot of very special people. This is this is the new chapter that has. I've met people I would have never known had it not been for my dementia. Mm-hmm. So how can it be all bad? That fighter spirit in you that knew it wasn't the end. Yeah. The diagnosis wasn't the end. That yeah. yeah. You had a lot of life ahead of you. And maybe, maybe I'm grateful that, um, you know, in, in in some way, being on my own made me have to fight. Mm. You know, it's so easy for us to sometimes give in and let our let our partners take over, and just and then we get into that mindset that makes us deteriorate faster than necessary. So for me, uh, I'm grateful that uh, I. I have had to fight and I'll continue to fight. Yeah. With purpose. With purpose. I'll continue to fight with purpose. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a real honor and gift really to get to, to learn from you and talk with you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me. And I hope to chat again soon. I love that Chrissy has found a sense of belonging with her Dementia Alliance International group. I love that Chrissy is advocating for dementia rights, is advocating for helping other people living with dementia to find a sense of purpose in their lives, and is sharing her journey with us. For Chrissy, I am grateful. I have linked in the show notes to where you can learn more about Chrissy, read her blog or buy her book, and I highly recommend it. If you are concerned about a loved one with memory loss, download my free memory loss guide. In it, I talk about the signs to be mindful of. I talk about the benefits of early diagnosis of dementia and what to do if you're worried that your loved one is showing some of the signs and symptoms of dementia. So head on over to the show notes and download that free memory loss guide now. And just a reminder, I would love for you to join my Caring for Aging Parents community on Facebook, where we support each other in caring for our older loved ones. You guessed it. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. That's all for today. Now it's your turn. All you have to do is subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with others so that they can be part of the conversation too. One last thing, a special thanks to Jasmine Joyner, our Psychology of Aging podcast intern for all you do. Lots of love to you and your families. Bye for now.